Giving back has always been our culture at Subaru of Gwinnett. During the Subaru Loves to Help initiative, we're partnering with our friends at Rainbow Village to provide coats, shoes, and socks to those dealing with homelessness. At Subaru of Gwinnett, our hope is that these essential items will not only keep those in urgent need protected, warm, and dry, but that it can have a significant impact on their mental and emotional well-being. Subaru of Gwinnett, more than a car dealer. Visit SubaruofGwinnett.com to learn more. Hey, next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in to this special bonus segment of the show featuring my conversation with Rick Werner. Rick is one of the top teaching professionals in our game. He's played in 10 National Club Pro Championships. He won the Ohio PGA Section Championship in 1979, and he's about to be inducted into the South Dakota Golf Hall of Fame. Thanks again for listening and for making Next on the Tee a part of your weekly golf content. Enjoy the segment. Okay, now making his next on the tee debut with me is Rick Werner. Let me give you some background on Rick. He is from Lexington, Virginia, played his college golf at the University of South Dakota. In 1973, he won the South Dakota Golf Association Amateur Championship, and that year he was also the medalist in the North Central Conference Tournament, and he was named All-American. Rick had two top 10 finishes in the National Club Pro Championship. In 1979, he won the Ohio PGA Section Championship. He's been a teaching professional at great clubs like Quaker Ridge in Scarsdale, New York. He's been the director of golf at the Country Club of Ashland, Ohio, and he retired as the director of golf at Royal Point Siena Golf Club in Naples, Florida. Rick also served as the men's golf coach at Washington and Lee University from 2007 to 2012. Next week, he's going to be inducted into the South Dakota Golf Hall of Fame. He came highly recommended to me by our friend Bill Mallon, and I couldn't be more excited to have him with me here today on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, I appreciate that. Nice introduction. Doing your homework, man. Uh, I try. I try. (laughs) So, Rick, I want to start out our time today by going back to your early days. I'm sort of curious, how does a kid from Lexington, Virginia, end up playing his college golf at the University of South Dakota? Actually, Chris, I grew up in uh, Huron, South Dakota. And from there, I, I, I went to the uh, university, University of South Dakota. But, uh, yeah, I, I grew up first 23 years. I was in uh, I grew up in Huron, South Dakota. So you had a tremendous amount of success in South Dakota at the university, as a matter of fact. And I was curious to get your thoughts. What are some of the things that stuck out to you about your time at the University of South Dakota playing men's golf? Well, we, we had it's kind of a limited program. I mean, it's short season up there. We played the. Uh, three or four matches in the spring and a couple in the fall. But uh, I had a great coach, Dwayne Clodfelder. He was just a, a wonderful individual. And he he was an inspiration for me for golf and life in general. And as a matter of fact, he was a basketball coach there for years. And in 1958, uh, USD won the uh, national uh, championship in their division. So co- coach is quite a guy, just a wonderful individual. So he, he really got me inspired. But I grew up playing my golf in Huron on a on a nine-hole sand green golf course, so it, I went from there to from playing some of the best courses in the world. So it's been quite a trip, but Chris. And like I mentioned in your intro, Rick, we got introduced through Bill Mallon, former PGA Tour pro, who has become a fantastic doctor after his time out on tour. You guys were friends in high school, right? Well, we actually met in about uh, once I got out of college in about 1974 down at John's Island Club and. In Vero Beach, Bill was getting ready for the tour, and I was uh, cleaning clubs and picking up the range. But we've been good friends for 50 years. He's he's quite a guy, as you, as you know. Bill was uh, 
he won everything in uh, New England, All-American at Duke, got his tour uh, card in like 75, played the tour for four years. And as I say, tour wasn't enough of a challenge for Bill, so he went back to med school and he just nationally known as an orthopedic surgeon, president of the association. So he's, he's just a wonderful individual. He told me a story about when you were in high school, and for most guys my age, when when I was in high school, most of my friends, they had the, the famous Farrah Fawcett poster on their wall. I came into liking Charlie's Angels a little bit after she left, and Cheryl Ladd was the poster I had on my wall. You do me one better. You dated Cheryl Ladd in high school. Well, I, that, that's a little bit of a stretch. She was, <clears throat> Chris, she was, uh, her name was, Sherry Stopplemore, but she grew up and she was a year younger and she lived about two blocks away. And I think everybody, she was so good looking. I think everybody's afraid to date her, but uh, I don't know. I maybe met her at the movie one time or something like that. But yeah, she, and she's quite a golf uh, fanatic. She wrote a little book here years back, but yeah, she, she's a, she's quite a golf fanatic. So yeah, she's a beautiful, talented woman and uh, she went on to a lot of success there. Going back to your playing career in 79, as I mentioned in your intro, you won the Ohio PGA section. There's a lot of great golf talent up in the state of Ohio. What do you remember about that event? Uh, it's kind of interesting. I'll try not to drag it out, but in uh, in 79, we played at, uh, I'll try to think of the golf course. It'll come to me, but in Cleveland, I got paired with Charlie Sifford the first round. And I heard, you know, Charlie could be, difficult and and bitter in a way because he was a tremendous talent in the 50s and early 60s and as i understand the pga of america was caucasian only until like 1967 so charlie couldn't play but i got paired with charlie in the first round and and uh about the first six holes he doesn't say anything i don't say anything i'm just be you know i'm just staying saying out his way and minding my own business and about the sixth hole the uh we got uh, backed up, and and I, I'm like two under. I mean, I'm just playing lights out for me. And Charlie comes over and says, son, you played pretty well. He said, uh, who taught you to play? And I said, well, Ken Venturi. And Charlie said, oh, my goodness. He just broke into a smile. He said, Kenny's one of the good ones. He's one of the one of the few that taught me with respect and invited me to play practice rounds and went to dinner. And we kind of became friends a little bit after that. And we went to, I, I was leading 69 and a couple of good players. Jim Masseri was a good player, won the USJ Junior and Brian Abb, a lot of good players up there, Jim Logan. So at dinner, Charlie Charlie goes around the table after dinner. A lot of guys having a couple of beers. And Charlie says, boys, who do you think is going to win tomorrow? And well, Masseri or Abbott or whatever. Charlie said, I tell you what, I'll take the kid that's leading against the field. Anybody want any of that action? So before wow. someone would, so or someone would make sure so, Charlie bet like a thousand dollars, something like that. I mean, I I bet I next sitting next to Charlie. I said, Charlie, I might shoot 89 tomorrow. He said, Don't worry, kid, you'll be all right. Well, the next day, somehow, some way I shot 67. I won by a five. At the presentation, I get my check for 400. I walk by Charlie and he's smiling from ear to ear. Then he's got a handful of fifties and hundred just smile. He's a like, way to go, pro. Good plan. So I found Charlie to be just a a, a fabulous human being, contrary, he grew up in Tough times, but he's a wonderful individual, at least to me. And you mentioned Ken Venturi. I, I read that you had played several rounds with with Kenny and with Gene Sarazen as well. Had to be a huge thrill to get to spend time with those guys. What do you remember about the times you spent with both of them? Well, I spent, this was down in Mark Weiler. was hooked up with those gentlemen down in 1974, 75, whatever it was. And uh, I probably played 150, maybe 200 rounds with Kenny. I mean, we played constantly for... 20 years down there 
and he Kenny was a fabulous player. So you know, people remember the old white-haired guy on, uh, you know, telecast for 35 years. But you know, Kenny was All-American, uh, NCAA All-American, uh, Ryder Cup, Walker Cup, uh, won 14 tour events, Rookie of the Year, 1957, three wins. Of course, won the Open in '64, and and he we we played a ton of golf. Then I get meet Mr. Sarazen also down at Marco Island, and and your audience out there is probably way too young to remember who Gene Sarazen is, but Mr. Sarazen was the first guy to win the career Grand Slam. He won seven majors. Uh, he, he credited with inventing the modern-day sand wedge. He told me in great detail how in 1935, how he won the 35 Masters. You know, he was three behind, standing on the 15, and he turned the ball for him. And he told a wonderful story about it. So, but he knocked in the, you know, the double eagle, the shot heard around the world, and We'd get together, and, and Eric Parsegian lived down there at the time, and we played, the three of us and somebody else would be in the group, and we played 15, 20 times. Mr. Sarah would tell the stories about Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen and Tommy Armour and Francis we met, and on and on and on. And then, then Coach would tell stories about, you know, coaching at the Notre Dame. So it was a, a fantastic experience around people like that. So you mentioned Eric Parsegian, another guy that had influence on your life legendary head coach at Notre Dame. How'd you, you know, getting to play with him and having the experience of not only playing with, I mean, being around him on the golf course, I imagine you got to spend some time with him off the golf course as well. What was it like spending time with coach? Well, he, coach, coach was a, a wonderful individual and, and he could play. He, Chris, he was a two handicap. You, you got to shoot par better to keep up with the coach, but he was, he was a wonderful inspiration and he had a fabulous sense of humor. And, uh, I, I attended one game at Notre Dame. I, I grew up in Huron, South Dakota, and my mother's Irish Catholic, so I was a Notre Dame fan in and out, and tough to cheer for the Golden Gophers next door in Minnesota, you know, when they won about one game a year, you know, so I was a Notre Dame fan, and before the game, Coach had retired, but I walked around campus before the game with him, and he was like, my goodness, he was, you know, people come up, and, I, you know, I was walking with the coach, and he was telling me stories about Moose Krause, and he, he was just, he was, he was dynamic. He was positive. He was funny. He was just, he was just fun. He was great to be around. Wonderful individual. Going back to your playing career, you also had two top 10 finishes in the National Club Pro Championship. You're sort of like the, the Michael Block of your time. Talk about those top 10s and competing against the best of your peers. Well, I, I played well in 82 and 84 down in uh, PGA Gardens at PGA National back then. And I did finish, I think both both times I, I finished uh, tied for 10th. And that was like the first alternate would have put me on the Club Pro Ryder Cup thing against the, you know, UK. And, but, uh, you know, I played well there for, it seemed like I either played well a couple of times or I missed the cut. I think I played in seven, uh, seven national champions, seven national Club Pro championships. And, and playing well, it got me into playing the PGA at Riviera in 83 and Cherry Hills in 85. So, I mean, it, Chris, I mean, I just, for, for me to come, you know, from nine hole sand green golf course in Huron, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a, I've been very fortunate. I've been around some great people and I've, I've made a comfortable living, you know, doing something I just absolutely love. Henrik, over the years, you were low professional in several South Florida Pro-Am tournaments. You set course records in Ohio and Florida. You shot scores of 62 and a, a couple of 63s. Talk about the places that you went out there. And next thing you know, you're setting a course record. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played at Quaker at uh, Country Club of Ashland, which is a great old golf course. So the front nine was designed by Willie Park Jr., just a fabulous nine holes. And in the back nine, they had a later on long before I got there. But yeah, I went out and shot uh, 62 there, I believe it was. And then twice at Royal Point Santa, we had 36 holes down there. And, and I shot 60, 63 and 63 on both golf courses. They, they've since made it much more difficult probably couldn't break 80 now but it but back then I made the, the one stretch there I made three eight threes in a row in the front nine wow. so I mean I, I just Chris my my playing resume is very short so you really did, did some digging to find up some some couple times I played pretty well there but uh <laughs> yeah I I, I I got it going a couple times, like not very often, but I did a couple times so I couldn't keep it up with Mellon but I you know I, I played all right a couple times there speaking of that did did you spend it at all? Did you ever think about getting out on the PGA tour or did you decide early on that becoming a teaching professional was where your calling was at? Well, I, you know, I, Chris, I, I won the uh, South Dakota state am in 1973. And I mean, you know, the next logical next step for me is the PGA tour. Right. So I go down to the Q school down in uh, Las Colinas country club in Irvine, Texas. And it was a two stager back then. And I missed going to the second stage by, uh, maybe four shots didn't play great but I didn't play my best but I still played pretty good so I was finishing up and and uh I, I finished on back nine and shot 36 and I'm thinking you know that's pretty good for me I probably had nine pellets I don't know but uh so I'm thinking uh you know that they're talking about this young phenom coming out of the University of Texas and I thought well I'll watch him play the back nine just see I'm gonna stack up you know who's, who's who's my competition come the next year well, I watched old General Ben Crenshaw shoot 29 on that nine holes, and I thought he was going to fall asleep out there. And uh, so I shot, you know, watched, let's see, old Ben just cut me by seven shots on nine holes. And I said, man, I can learn how to sell shirts and teach if I'm going to be in the golf business. So <laughs> that was the extent that was the extent of my uh, PGA Tour aspirations right there. <laughs> you uh, started to mention Quaker Ridge. A, a wonderful golf club. It's a historic Tillinghast design up in Scarsdale, New York, known as Tilly's Treasure. It's regularly ranked as one of the top courses in the world, let alone here in our country. It dates back to the, the early 1900s. I even read that George Washington and his troops are said to have spent time on the property in 1776. But what was what was it like being there at Quaker Ridge? I was, uh, I was a teaching professional there in 75, 76, and 77. And Chris, I'll guarantee you, I played that golf course 300 times over those three years. I mean, like you mentioned, it's a Tillinghast golf course, and he was by far my favorite architect of the, the, the golden age of architectures back then. He, and it, it was just a fabulous golf course. And, and I think, as a matter of fact, um, Byron Nelson won his first tournament up there in like 37 or 38 at Quaker. It was called the Metropolitan Open, which is a huge event up there. And it, it's just it's a great old Tillinghouse golf course. There's a picture on the in the clubhouse there that shows a picture of A.W. Tillinghouse, and he's he's got his three-piece suit on and a fedora hat or whatever they call him, and he's he's standing out there in waist-high weeds, and he's looking at this chart, and this is how the guy designed the golf course. I mean, he was a genius, and they they had to use uh, horse-drawn sleds to to build the thing, and it that, even today it, it's still considered one of the great golf courses around. It just it's it's a real treasure. So, as a matter of fact, I got to know uh, J.C. Snead a little bit at Homestead. And J.C. was in that part of the country, and I mentioned Quaker Ridge, and he said, you know, 
Quaker Ridge was Sam's favorite golf course in the Northeast. So that'll give you some idea what, what Quaker Ridge really is. It was just a great golf course. Yeah, and I've heard that of all the great golf courses, and there's so many out there on Long Island, I've heard people talk about how, boy, they'd really have to think about it. If they had an opportunity to play Shinnecock or Quaker Ridge, it would be a real decision because Quaker Ridge is just that great. I've been fortunate over the years to play a lot of the top, for years, the top 20 out of the 25 or whatever. And, uh, you know, Pebble and Cypress and Augusta and Pebble, I'll drop some names on you here and, and uh, you know, Pine Valley. But Quaker Ridge has always been one of my top five. It's, just, it, it's one of those hidden jewels. You know, it's a very private, small membership. And it was just, just a great experience. I tell people, if they ever get a chance, don't ever pass it up because it's one of the good ones. No doubt about it. All right, so everybody that listens to this show regularly knows that Augusta National is my favorite place on the planet. You you threw out there, you kind of breezed through that you played at Augusta. Tell me what that was like. Uh, I got to play. I got to play it twice, and it was uh, yeah, you know, I, I was friends with Dave Spencer, who was a golf professional there. And uh, anyway, I got to play it one time on the way down to Florida, and then I had a I had a member, Maury Wad from Chicago, and he was a member. And for a long story, we we took the private jet up and played twenty seven and on and on and on. I mean, it just, I mean, I grew up. The only TV, the only back in the late fifties, whatever on TV was, was a, you know, we wait for the Masters to come on, and then you get a chance to play it. It's just absolutely fabulous, and the, the, you know, the we well, you know what it's like. I mean, the elevation changes, the severity, the greens, and all the history there. It was, it was, it was something to behold. Is one one of the one of the great experiences of my life. So it, it was, it, it's, it, it's special. You've also got to spend some time with other great instructors in our game, guys like Jim McLean, who's a wonderful friend of this show. You spent some time with John Jacobs, David Ledbetter, Hank Haney, Bob Toski, Davis Love Jr. Tell me about getting to spend time with them. Did you pick their brains and incorporate a little bit of each of them into your teaching methods or what impact did those guys have on you? Well, after 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 General Ben cut me by seven shots, like I said, I got to learn how to teach. And I didn't know a thing about teaching. I think I read Hogan's Five Fundamentals, you know, and you know, which is a weak grip, cup it open, uh, uh, cup it at the top, unwind the hips, you know, which is you know, Chris, which would be great medicine for a world full of slicers. My you know, my students went from a little slice to a big slice to a shank, you know. So I was able to spend time with a lot of the, men, the fellows you mentioned. I think. To me, John Jacobs was John. John, they were all great teachers. They're all wonderful, spectacular teachers, and, and very accommodating to me. Well, but John Jacobs, to me, was the best I ever saw. Chris, he was. When somebody said wine. I said two words: uh, simplicity and result. Fabulous, fabulous teacher. So, Jim McLean and I have been good friends. Jim was at Westchester Country Club teaching when I was at Quaker Ridge, and we'd play golf three, four days a week. So we, we've been good friends since 1975, and. Uh, and you mentioned Hank Haney and, and David Ledbetter and uh, Bob Toski and Jim Flick and Davis Love Jr. was Mr. Mr. Love was just a fabulous individual. I didn't get to know all those people that well, but I watched him. I, I would spend hours and days at a time. I'd, I'd catch an airplane flight at Naples, Florida at six o'clock in the morning, fly to Orlando, rent a car and go watch John Jacobs teach all day and then catch the flight home. I mean, it was just an opportunity to watch some of those people teach. It was just a wonderful experience for me. Some others that I read that had influence on you were Jackie Burke and Byron Nelson. That's a heck of a Texas connection, getting to spend some time with those two guys. What was that like? Well, I got to know Jackie a little bit. You, you got to, you, 
Jim, Jim, Jim McClain can sign your program. Have Jim talk about Jackie Burke because he was really, you know, he, Jim's really good friends with Jackie, but I got to know Jackie and took a lesson from him. And, and, and he's one of the smartest individuals, golf and business and life I've ever met in my life. And he wrote a wonderful book uh, called It's Only a Game. And your, your, your listeners out there, yeah, if they want a good read, I mean, don't don't pass up reading Jackie Burke's uh, It's Only a Game. It's a sensational book. And Jackie was just a, a wonderful individual. And he was, Jackie was a tough guy. I mean, he was a good guy, but he was a tough guy. In World War II, he uh, he, he was in the Marines. He taught physical fitness and hand-to-hand combat to Marines that were going over to Southeast Asia, you know, out of the Southeast Pacific. So, but he was a good guy. Jackie was a good player. He played in the seven Ryder Cups. He won uh, the Masters of the PGA in 56. Uh, he's the last guy to win four tournaments in a row. I mean, Tiger won seven or eight in a row, but Jackie won four in a row, four consecutive tournaments, which he did in 52, I think it was. So, you know, he, he was a sensational player and a, and a fantastic, fantastic putter. And I, I think Jim McClain, if you got to, Jim McClain told me a story about Jackie. And again, Jimmy's a lot better, more acquainted than Jackie and I, but he, Jimmy told me a story about, uh, Billy Ray Brown going for a putty lesson. Jackie was a great putter, but Nicholson and Crenshaw, they all went to him for lessons and putting lessons. But Billy Ray went for a, a putty lesson. And uh, Billy Ray was a good player, All-American at Houston, won three times on the tour, so he could really play. So he goes out for a, a putty lesson with Jackie, and Jackie throws a couple, three balls down about four feet away. And Billy Ray makes the first two, and then, then, he, then he lips out the third one. He says, oh, darn it. Well, Jackie took his putter that he had in his hand, grabbed it by the head of the, and whacked Billy Ray across the back of the legs. And Billy Ray said, it went down like it was shot. And he said, he looked up at Jackie and he said, Jackie, what's that for? And he said, son, when you miss a putt, I want you to feel some pain. I mean, <laughs> wow. get, get, get Jim to get Jimmy to tell you some Jackie Burke stories. I mean, it's a wonderful, I mean, it's, again, I didn't know him as well as a lot of people, but when I was around him, he, he was just dynamic and positive and, he was something else. So, uh, yeah, get that book, folks, out there if you want to read a good read. Good read there on golf. You were also the director of golf at Royal Poinciana Golf Club down in Naples, Florida. My good friend, another top instructor in our game, Tom Patrick's down there at in Naples at Crown Colony. Royal Poinciana, to your earlier point, it's got a couple of really nice golf courses on it. Now it looks like a wonderful club. Talk about your time in Naples. It was. Um, I was down there at director golf for 23 years. And, uh, you know, I was, I was coming out of Ashland, Ohio. I I had no, I had no chance whatsoever to get the job, but, uh, I I got an interview somehow. And, and I, and I, my resume, the the top name and references was, were Ken Venturi and Gene Sarazen. And the the guy went interviewed Mr. Sarazen, his doctor who he knew. And, and Mr. Sheridan said, oh, that Rick Warner, he's a good one. Don't let him get away. So, you know, somehow I got the job. It, it's a fabulous club. It, it's just a wonderful membership. And, and it, it was a great experience. They were just wonderful people down there. So it, it's and I had so many good people working for me, which made my job a lot easier. But it, it it's a it, it, it's a wonderful club down there. A lot of good clubs down there now. But when I was down there, there were only a couple. So it, it's uh RP, RP is, is is one of the good ones, definitely. I think they still have a nine-year waiting list to get in. They had nine years to get in when I was down yes. there. I know that. So it, it's a good one. You are a member of this year's South Dakota Hall of Fame class. The banquet's coming up next week. 
What's it going to be like for you to get recognized by your peers, the state of South Dakota, and then be up there on the podium in front of family and friends getting recognized for all the great accomplishments you've had in your career? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably choke like a dog when I get up there on that stage. I know that. But, you know, growing up in South Dakota, and, and I left, Chris, I left in right after I got out of college in, in 1973. So I've been gone for uh, 50 years. And to get the call, and it, it means a lot. That's all I can say. It means a lot. No doubt. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll practice my speech and try not to choke too bad. But uh, there's so many good people out there. So many friends I haven't seen in a long time. We're, we're really looking forward to it. You've had a positive impact on so many people over the course of your career. As you think about your speech and you think about looking back over, over your time in the game and all the people that you've touched, got to bring a smile to your face to know what a positive impact you've had on so many people. Well, you know, I, that's nice for you to say. I, I hope I did. I, I, I just tried to, I tried to be Rick Warner and do my best. And, you know, I was nothing special. I just tried to do a good job. But some of the names we mentioned earlier, they were so positive, uh, positive influence on me and inspirations and role models. And it was probably anything I learned, I just passed on. It's like some of the kids that call them kids, some of the guys that work for me, some of the people I was around. So it, it's, I mean, golf, you know, Chris, growing up, like I said, here on South Dakota, playing a nine hole sand green golf course and, you know, going as far as I have. And, you know, I'm, you know, I was never player of the year or teacher of the year or anything like that, but I had a wonderful experience as a golf professional and it's, it's, uh, it's something that I'll, I'll treasure forever and going into the South Dakota Hall of Fame with some of my uh, a lot of my good friends. And we're really looking forward to it. But it, it's, it's been a it's been a good ride, this golf thing. As you think about your career and all the people that have worked with you and around you, I imagine you have a, a pretty extensive coaching tree. They talk about, you know, Bill Belichick and his coaching tree and all the all the folks that have worked with and around him. I imagine you have a pretty impressive one. Who are some of the great people that you brought into the game that have now gone on in their, in their areas and then, you know, their careers and have done really great things. Well, I was fortunate because I, I always hired, always tried to hire, I say somebody smarter than me, which wasn't, it didn't take too much, you know, but I always tried to hire good people because I knew if they would make a golf professional look good or bad, but I always tried to hire good people. And I was fortunate to have some, some excellent young men and women that worked with me there. And, and several of them, several went on to be head golf professionals. And, and uh, one of my good friends, he's uh, Jim McLean's right-hand man, Glenn Farnsworth. He's probably the best unknown people don't know about the teaching with uh, Jimmy down there in Doral and in South Florida for 30 years. And John Allen, a good friend of mine, he's been over at uh, Sunnydale golf club in, in Philadelphia for decades. And, and I've had so many and it's just hard to, but it was, if I had a positive, you know, influence on all those people, I, I, I'm glad I did. But they had a positive influence on me, too. I know that. So it, it's it's been a good run. Rick, before I let you go, what's next for you? I know you you, you left uh, Naples and, and retired from down there. But what's what's next up for you? Well, we're living up in Lexington, Virginia. It's a nice little town, about eight uh, eight thousand. We got two good universities here, BMI and Washington Lee University, and we got five grandchildren and uh, a wonderful golf course. And uh, we spend time here, and we're going to go down and spend a little bit of time down at PJ Village after the first of the year. So, 
I've got my wife here. She, my lovely wife, Judy, she's a, she got down to a 10 handicap. It's gone back up a little bit because of the grandchildren keep her busy, but we play golf and, and just enjoy a simple life up here in the Shenandoah Valley. So it, uh, things are still going good for us here, Chris. Rick, is there a way for our listeners to stay up to date with you, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? Oh my goodness, Chris. I've, I gotta say, I'm I'm stuck in the '60s, Chris. I, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't even know how to. I can barely text, so I, I'm not into any of that at all. So, believe me, there's not that much going on. But uh, my my wife Judy can pick up on some of that stuff. But it, it's uh, I'm I, I still do snail mail, you know. I still get the envelope <laughs> in the mailbox. Sometimes. That's great. Well, Rick, it has been great getting to spend time with you and having you as part of the show this week. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime soon, because I feel like with all the people that you've been in and around and all the things that you've done over the course of your career, we've just really scratched the surface on the great things that you got to be a part of. I hope we get the opportunity to do again sometime soon. Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough, and we really enjoy your program. So uh, good luck with your program, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you. I appreciate it. Congrats again on the Hall of Fame. All the best to you, your wife, Judy, and the family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Chris. See you, Rick. Bye-bye. That was the great Rick Werner. And again, he's going next week into the South Dakota Golf Hall of Fame. The number of things that Rick got to do and be a part of and the people that he was around and learned from really speaks to what a great player and person he was. He's very humble, really downplays his impact. But the number of places that he's been, the number of people that he got to be a part of and got to know and wanted to be around him, and he got to be around, tremendous, tremendous. And I'm sure his coaching tree is just as big and full as it could possibly be. I'm going to try to get some of the guys that he mentioned to come on the show and uh, and talk about Rick. and obviously their careers, but, uh, and then obviously follow up with Jim McClain and Bill Mallon as well. But uh, Rick's a tremendous player and a tremendous guy. And like I say, just far too humble. I really thank him for his time tonight and being a part of this week's show. And uh, like I say, I hope we get the privilege of getting a little bit deeper into some of the things and the people that he got to do over the course of his career. Get back in touch with him again soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this very special segment of Next on the Tee. Scheduled to join me next week are Top 50 LPGA instructor Kelly Stenzel. We'll be back on the show. I've been trying to get Kelly back on for a while now, so it's going to be great to finally get an opportunity to catch up with her. Seven-time Canadian Ladies Long Drive champion Lisa Longball-Vluswick will make a long overdue return to the show. And like I mentioned earlier, Gabby Powell's co-host on three courses, Hannah Liner will join me as well. So it's going to be a really fun show, folks. I hope you'll come back and join us and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can find this show available as a podcast just about everywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on TribLive.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audioboom, Player.fm, and on Good Pods. And my thanks to those folks for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Please download their free app and stream your favorite podcast right there on your favorite device. But most of all, my sincere thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. Well, I guess you're gone. Bring it down in
Giving back has always been our culture at Subaru of Gwinnett. During the Subaru Loves to Help initiative, we're partnering with our friends at Rainbow Village to provide coats, shoes, and socks to those dealing with homelessness. At Subaru of Gwinnett, our hope is that these essential items will not only keep those in urgent need protected, warm, and dry, but that it can have a significant impact on their mental and emotional well-being. Subaru of Gwinnett, more than a car dealer. Visit SubaruofGwinnett.com to learn more. Hey, Atlanta, Hudson Mason here. Is a new roof still on your to-do list, but you've been delayed due to rising home service costs? Well, here's a fantastic solution from Accent Roofing Service. Zero down, zero payments, and zero interest for a full year. That's right. You can get your new roof now and start paying next year. Act quickly because Accent's incredible offer of zero, zero, zero with a 12-month deferred payment option for a lifetime roof system isn't going to last long. Contact the craftsman at Accent Roofing Service today, accentroofingservice.com. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. 